Would you turn with me in your copy of God's Word to John chapter 20? John chapter 20. We're going to pick up in verse 11. John chapter 20. As you're turning, let me just open with saying something that needs to be said. Grief, depression, and anxiety are no strangers to the Christian life. Today's Christianity would lead you to expect otherwise. However, if you read older books, what you find is they engage this topic far more often than the happy, clappy type of books we see today. Even we see that in the last 10, 20 years there's been a rise of what's called Christian counseling. It's good. It's helpful. It's needed. However, it has inadvertently created the mentality that sad Christians go to counseling and happy Christians come to church. Let me be very clear. Grief, depression, Anxiety are not stigmas to be shunned, nor deficiencies to be hid. The Bible is very honest about the reality of these things, and we as a church must be as well. And let's just face it, I've heard older people say, I really wish Jesus was here. I've heard younger people say, I wish I could hug him. If we could just See and be seen, hold and be held, everything would be okay. But what we're going to find is that sight is a poor cure for sorrow. Instead, let us find the truth in our sermon in a sentence. Christians see with their ears. Christians see with their ears. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into the passage. Heavenly Father, help us to see. Help us remove the callousness from our hearts. Remove the thorns and the pleasures of this world that seek to choke out your word. Helping us in every way to grasp the words that you have for us by faith. That we may be able to apply them to our life. And that they may be a lamp unto our feet and a light into our path. So Father, let these things be in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. John chapter 20, verse 11 through 18. Hear the word of the Lord. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at her head, one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, 
Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But I go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Now thus ends the reading of God's holy word this morning. Mary Magdalene, she knew Jesus and the disciples well. Luke 8 tells us that she was a woman that Jesus cast several evil spirits out of her. And she was numbered among the women that provided for Jesus and the disciples out of their own pockets. Now from all appearances, this arrangement lasted for some time. For Mary is last to leave the cross, first to leave the tomb, or last to leave the cross, first to arrive at the tomb. And we find her at the tomb weeping uncontrollably. In in his life, she poured thanksgiving upon his head like the sweet aroma from the alabaster jar. Now in his death, she intended to do the same. She intended. His body is gone. Her comfort is stolen. And she finds herself buried in sorrow. In her grief, in her desire to touch and see him one last time, she misses a world of comfort. And so often, so do we. How many mercies do we overlook because we use our eyes, we look with our eyes instead of seeing with our ears? How does Mary fail to see with her ears? Let's ask this of our passage. What does it call us to believe? What duty does it require? What does our passage call us to believe? It calls us to believe that sight overlooks God's mercy. Our sight overlooks God's mercy. It looks at what it has not, not what it has. And we've seen this in Scripture. Genesis 21, Abraham kicks out Hagar and Ishmael. They're in the desert. She leaves the boy under a tree, expecting him to die of thirst while she goes an arrow shot away to cry. Then God speaks to her from heaven, and she opens her eyes, and she sees a well. Now let me just point something out. A well is not a spigot that you you put a hose into. A well would be about the size of this platform. And she couldn't see it. She couldn't see it. In her grief, she was so focused on what she did not have that she did not see the well in front of her. In her grief, her sight failed her. Do we not see the same in Mary? 
The extremity of her sorrow overloaded her beyond what she was able to bear, and for relief, she leaned upon her sight. Now, what did her sight overlook? Her sight overlooked the promises of Scripture. Herman Bobbing says that all Scripture is full of promises, stays, and supports for our trust. To instill trust because God knows how mistrusting we are. Mary would have known the promises. But in her despair, she mistrusts the promises. She leans upon her sight. She gives way to mistrust and unbelief. Instead of seeing, the, instead of seeing with her ears the promise that he would rise, she sees with her eyes that he is missing. Sight is an instrument made for heaven. Faith is the instrument by which we navigate life below. In her sorrow and our own, when we lean upon our sight, it's like leaning upon a rotten stairwell, our stair rail. And what happens when you lean on it? It breaks. You're hurt, it's hurt. It doesn't work out. Sight overlooked the promises. And it saw only grief. Sight overlooks the promises, but sight also overlooks the people in the tomb. Sight overlooked the angels. Now I'm going to be very honest for a moment. If I walked into a tomb and someone spoke to me, you would have to peel me off the tallest pine tree around. But what does Mary do? What does Mary do? She doesn't even notice. She doesn't even acknowledge. When Joshua, the commander of the Lord's army, saw the angels, what did he do? He fell down. When Samson's parents saw the angel, what did they do? They thought they were about to die. Mary could care less. Her eyes fell to see the comfort of their presence. For Joshua... They served a different purpose. See, let's think about what angels are. Angels are ministering spirits come to serve those who are to inherit salvation. They're spirits. They can be more or less visible as they so wish. We know this because Peter and John didn't see them, did they? But they were visible to Mary. They were for her comfort. When Joshua saw the angels, the angels were there to encourage him. When Samson's parents saw the angels, it was to give them hope. When Isaiah saw the angels, it was to give him mercy. But her sight failed to see the comfort they conveyed. Are we not the same? We live in 2023. Who believes in angels? Like the days of Elijah or Elijah. There were angels all around him. They still are. The book of Hebrews says that we entertain angels unaware. But these are truths seen by hearing. You can't see an angel. You can't touch an angel. You can't check an angel's blood pressure. And because we can't see, touch, and measure them in any way, because we trust our sight... 
we do not see the mercy that God was communicating. Sight finally overlooks the person of Jesus. It overlooks the person of Jesus. Her first mistake was she confused Jesus with the gardener. She confused him with the gardener. Now how could she miss him? I can spot Monty Baxley walking into the corner market from across the road because of the way he walks. He's got his own particular kind of stride, we might say. But she could not recognize Jesus from close up. Why not? I like to assume it's because she didn't recognize him for the same reasons the Jews did not recognize him. She was looking for something different. She was looking for a dead man, not a living Savior. When she does see him, when he speaks to her, when he calls her by name, she knows who he is, then she overlooks the purpose of his work. We see it in those tender words that Jesus says to her, do not cling to me. The issue wasn't physical touch. How do we know? Well, in a few verses, he's going to say, hey, y'all, y'all poke your hand right here. The disciples are going to touch him. The issue is not physical contact. No, Mary's piety smells of desperation. She saw no way out of her misery unless she could see and be seen, hold and be held. Her sight could not see the greater work that Jesus had to go and do. That he must go to ascend to his father and her father, his God and her God, that he must go do things for her. Her eyes couldn't see it. And quite often that same smell of desperation is on us, isn't it? A a Christian band once sang, If I fall or I misstep, if I call on you with my last breath, will you be there for me after? Because I'm waiting in the silence and my fear is absolutely violent. I'm a child thrown to lions. Is there hope on the horizon? Jesus, where are you? Where are you? Jesus promises to be with us to the end of the age. And yet I can't see him. He promises he will never leave us nor forsake us. But I can't see him. He says that he prays for us without ceasing. And yet I can't see him. What I do see is myself in the mirror. I see my problems staring me in the face. I see one million unanswerable questions before me like the Israelites at the land in the border of Canaan they spy it out and what did they come back and say all we saw is problems giants because they trusted their sight our passage teaches us that sight is a poor cure for sorrow but what does he call us to do instead What does Jesus require of us? Well, we can say that Christians see with their ears. Christians see with their ears. We call that faith. Jesus says in John 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. 
Believe in God and believe also in me. This is the cure for the sorrowful soul. But what does it actually look like? First, we must hear the word. Faith hears the word. Mary did not know him until she heard him. We see that in John 10. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The sheep will find no comfort until they hear his voice. But I want you to be, I want to be very clear on what I'm saying. I'm not saying the sheep remember his voice from many years ago, but the sheep hear his voice right now. Paul says that Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. How? By the preaching of the word. On the road to Emmaus, when they finally recognized Jesus, they said, didn't our hearts burn when he spoke? There's a dependence here upon faith. John Calvin says, it's not good enough to have once known what God shows us for our advantage. But we must review it regularly. And our memory of it must be refreshed so that we will know how to use the scriptures well. How does faith hear the word? Well, how do I hold on to this book? Well, with all five fingers. I read the word. I hear the word. I sing the word. I memorize the word. I meditate the word. Those are the five fingers of which we by faith grasp on to Jesus Christ, who is a wellspring of our comfort. But what else do we do? We do more than hear. Mary heard the word, but look at what she did next. She turned. We hear the word. We turn to Christ. Faith turns to him. Now, when I was a young man, I thought of faith as this. I said a prayer. I got wet. That's back when I was a Baptist. I got really wet. I got wet. And now I put my faith in a box. And I continue to live my life. Wrong. Faith sees by hearing. And it's constantly snatching glances at Christ. When fear arises, I don't just sort it out myself. Faith turns to Christ, to his person, to his work, to his promises. This is what we see with Mary. Look what Jesus does. He says, I have not yet ascended. Mary, I will be in heaven praying and preserving you. I'm ascending to my Father and my God. Mary, I'm the Son of God, the very God of very God, who came down to heaven to save you. Tell my brothers I go to their fa- our Father and our God. Despite the greatness of their sins, Mary, you can have a sure persuasion that God loves them and has given me to them for their benefit. None of those things you can see with your eyes. But faith sees them 
with their ears and it turns to them. What of our despair? Do you fear dying alone? Faith hears His Word. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And when that fear arises, we turn to that Word. Fear of failure? Fear we're not good enough? Paul says in Romans, at the right time, Christ Jesus died for the ungodly. When these fears and anxieties arise, we turn to Christ. You die for the ungodly and that's me. It will be okay. Struggling with temptation, Jesus says, Satan desires to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. That is an article of faith. And it's more than simply a head nod that is true. We must turn, look, and take hold of Jesus Christ. Finally, faith hears, faith turns, but faith tells. We must tell one another. Mary's faith was strengthened by her obedience, by her, the rising faith of those around her. I can remember when I was young, it was Christmas Eve, I'm at my grandmother's in Sandersville, and they entertain me, she gives me a bunch of sparklers and says, have fun. I was 10 maybe. You know, lighting one sparkler, that's fun. But you tie about 50 of them together and I set her yard on fire. What made them hotter? Being together. Being together. He who isolates himself thinks only of himself. But he who opens his heart to others will find they rise in temperature together. Richard Baxter advises despairing saints, he says, Spend little time alone, but much time in pleasant, cheerful company. Solitude only provides dark thoughts. Also, don't engage in lengthy private prayers, but pray often and out of a love pray often and out loud in the company of others. You see what he's saying? Christian, are you sinking in sorrow? Is the Depths of the cave of despair crashing in around you. Don't sit in your house alone, sorrowing over what could have been or what should have been. But find other Christians. Pray with them. Engage in their company. Do as Mary said. She said, Lord, I have seen the Lord. Look around. There's... Is there eight people in here? Did I, can I count? They're close enough. There's less than ten of us here. But I see people that I know would pray for me. That I know would be an encouragement to me. They'll be an encouragement of you, to you. Speaking more of the mercy of Christ by hearing of what He's doing in the lives of others from the lips of dear friends, our faith will be strengthened to overcome our despair. So in conclusion, I want to start in with what I said. Depression, anxiety, grief are not strangers to the Christian life. 
They are not a stigma. They're not a badge of dishonor. A popular pamphlet that MJ gave me years ago says it best. Christians grieve too. If you're downcast and depressed, this is a place you need to be for Christ Jesus is here. He says, he does not say to us, come to me all you who are happy clapping. He says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. When depression covers us like a heavy blanket, when it saps our strength little by little, the solution is the same. Believe in God and believe also in me. Church, I ask, as we go through this life, are we looking to Christ at the rising of every sorrowful tide? Are our ears taking hold of the promises our eyes cannot see? If you don't, you'll find the burden too great to bear. But you can find someone, someone here who will both bring Christ to you through his word and take you to Christ through prayer. That we can see him in his beauty when we see him with our ears. Now let's pray.